but that's it i'm done venting that's okay darling thank you a little bit snarky this episode i apologize oh bring on the snark (laughs) (laughs) okay let's begin Welcome to Belgarid and Beyond. My name is Sandra Turnbull. I'm from the Goddess Kindled Universe. Welcome to episode, where are we? Season two, episode seven. Um, This is a show where we explore magical worlds chapter by chapter, beginning with the Belgarid series of books by David Eddings. This season, we're reading book two, Queen of Sorcery, and today we're diving into chapter six. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Sandra. Yeah, chapter six. I like this chapter a lot. It's going to be a good discussion. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Tell me what's in your potion cup this week. My cup is a little bit bitter and salty this week. I had, I mean, overall it was, it was a good week. It's just, and I, I feel like I stayed really centered considering everything that was going on. Whereas before I would have been just like blowing up on everybody and yelling and, and that's um, struggling with motherhood this past weekend. I really was starting to just question myself because I don't know. I just feel like some of the things that come out of my kid's mouth sometimes I'm like, I would have never said that to my mom. And I also know it's just kind of a way of the times right now, but it's not easy when, you know, there's always talking back and there's not listening. And then they always are asking for things that they want, like they aren't appreciating what they already have. They're just on to the next thing. And so all of that going on this weekend, plus I was like going through this, you know, my monthly cycle about to start. So my hormones were just crazy this weekend because um, it was just not, things weren't flows. Like I was just stagnant because it was trying, cycles trying to go and it just wouldn't until today. So it felt like I was holding all of this in that needed to be released is, you know, um, but it was just um, my older daughter still, she's having her, you know, emotions right now too. So when we're both in that place, it can be difficult. And then I've also just been having a hard time with like feeling like I don't have enough time in the day, even though I know time is an illusion. It's, it's just what we make of it, but I don't feel like I'm getting anything done as far as my book. And Like today, I wanted to write the synopsis for the back cover so I could send it to my cousin who does the artwork, and that's not going to happen now, Uh, because after this recording, I'll probably just work on my book, because I I really want to get it done. So it's just, you know, little uh, nagging things of life in general, I guess. Oh, well, I'm going to, you know be very corny and say it'll be okay (laughs) yeah I know 
I think today too is just not, I'm not feeling today. It's so once it's an overwhelming kind of day to day for you. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. It's going to be barefoot on the grass day. Like several times today, I want you to walk into your backyard, take your shoes off and walk around on the grass just for five minutes. We don't have grass in our backyard. You have dirt. We do, but it's extremely dirty because the dogs use it as their bathroom right now. (laughs) (laughs) What about the front yard? Oh, the front yard is dead weeds. So it's really pokey. I'd have to go to like a park or something to walk on grass. You just need to connect with dirt, something that's not concrete Uh, and not your rubber soles. mm Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I have nothing right now in our yard that I can do that with. <laughs> our yards are disasters because, you know, I'm not, I mean, I love being outdoors, but I don't, I don't love being the one to fix it. And we just haven't found, you know, the ability yet to hire someone. to. Okay. So it doesn't matter if it's pokey. It doesn't have to be beautiful. Dirt is supposed to be dirty. And you can stand in a little patch that your feet just fit on. Yeah. <laughs> I could. You could. Yeah, I'm going to try it. <laughs> I just look at the whole dirt area. and was like, gosh, my dog just everywhere. Scattered everywhere. <laughs> she doesn't go in one place. It goes and then she runs and then she goes again and she runs everybody. Like, why don't you stand in one spot? <laughs> I would just stand on the weeds then. Could the fans stand on the weeds? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, grounding. I also use an essential oil for grounding. I put it on the bottom of my feet. Yeah, that's a great idea. Which one do you use? Um, it's vetiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that one. It's Beautiful. Good job, sweetheart. Yeah. So how about you? What is what has your week been like? Oh, my week, uh, my potion, my potion has been is numbing and and nerve wracking with a sweet spicy aftertaste. Mm. Yesterday I went to the dentist, and my dentist was wielding his anaesthetic needle like mm-hmm. a broadsword, and I swear. I had to take the, like, it was an early morning appointment. I thought, yep, get this over and done with. Lunchtime, I'll come good. Afternoon, I can just, you know, I'll spend the afternoon in the studio instead of, you know, the morning and get my writing done. No. No. I was on the painkillers, on the sofa, couldn't open my fucking mouth. I couldn't, like, I'm like little tiny. Oh, it was ridiculous. I couldn't speak properly i was in so much pain from where he had put the injection in and i had two big fillings done and you know when they put the needle right down into the joint into the jaw right down the corner yeah and and i have never experienced a dentist who gives injections like this like my old dentist in australia was fantastic you wouldn't even know she'd given you an injection because she did it slowly the way that you should and mm. really gentle this guy whacked the needle up into my top gum like to do this top one 
And I felt like he'd injected the freaking thing into my eyeball. My eye went weird. I couldn't see. It was a kind of sticking and fuzzy. And mm. oh, crap. That was just the first one. Then he whacked this second one down into the corner. And I'm sitting in the seat going, ah, making little squeaky noises like a terrified mouse, which I was at that point. <sighs> wow. It was fair. Wow. So, so I'm going to see my girlfriend's dentist next time because he's... Yeah with the needle and doesn't do that yeah that seems a little bit scary that's terrifying uh, it's bad enough that they put those needles into your mouth and you know well, uh, no give me the needle because i don't want the pain when the drill starts thank you very much oh, no. sensitive teeth no i want needles i want at least one maybe two mm-hmm yeah, they got to use a special anesthetic on me too because the the one that's normally used here makes my heart race. Like oh no, when, really? When they gave it to me, I was like in my 20s, early 20s. They gave it to me and then I could feel it happening and then the lady looks, are you okay? I'm like, um, I think my, I don't know. I, I think I don't feel good. <laughs> so they had me sit up and sip on orange juice and it just postponed everything and I didn't like that. Oh, shit. Yeah, those injections. Sometimes they have to do it two or three times. Like, to actually not feel anything. Like, yeah. I've got no problem with injections done properly. Done properly, you won't even feel that you've had an injection. Yeah. Especially in your mouth. I have four, four cavities that need to be filled, and I keep Are putting, you putting it off. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't have insurance for a year either. And then I just got insurance, like, Four months ago, I got one done. Okay, get another one done. Um, maybe, yeah, not, so. maybe not this week, you know, because I'm just telling you about my horror story. No. But ridiculous. Like, I never enjoy going to the dentist, but, you know. Yeah. Added as well. All right, enough about dentist and stuff. That's really... I can't remember what else happened this week because that's just kind of painted over <laughs> everything. Yes, that stuff can do that. It's kind of like my morning this morning. I just <laughs> you covered everything else. That happened before that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Garion. Garion's view, please. All right. So, chapter six um, Garion and his crew, they leave the inn, that awful inn that made him sick to just be in the space. Like they, they leave and they travel onward through the forest, I believe it is. Leldoran and Garion have some more long conversation. And there's, you know, they, they mentioned several times this moss growing on, on the ground of the forest. And finally Leldoran tells them what's really underneath it. And that becomes kind of like a big focus for Garion. In fact, there's bunches of dead bodies there and how they got there. and. Then they're, they're distracted because there's something out there. Turns out, according to Mr. Wolf, they're a type of troll that is kind of has them surrounded. So they have to flee to the safety up higher on ground. And while they're up there defending, Lildren uh, is attacked. And then somebody else, a new, a new character arrives that seems to know Mr. Wolf and helps them. And... Uh, he's able to to scare them all away mm-hmm. with the help of Beric and Hetar, I think. Yep. That's, 
Yeah, that's the summary. That's the one. Okay, so get into the meat of the chapter now. So yeah, so when when the chapter starts, it really just begins with them riding into the trees and it's sort of, you know, it's a drizzly day and a bit gloomy and they're under the, the, the trees and it's sort of a bit dark and foreboding and we open with Leldoran and Garion riding along together. Garion can see that his friend's troubled, so he pulls in and asks him what the problem, you know, what's troubling you, Leldoran? And Leldoran um, starts talking about, I think I've been blind all my life. <laughs> and yes, I love how Garion reacts sort of very carefully because <laughs> he's, getting, he's gotten to know Leldoran a little bit by now and and I think that he, 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 I don't know, it's almost like he can sense that something's coming, but it's probably not what he hopes, which is that Leldoran's decided to tell Mr. Wolf everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he sort of is, has this realisation about the, about the serfs. Mm-hmm. You know, he's only ever seen members' oppression of Asturia and he's never seen their own oppression, you know, like. And I'm so grateful for um, Eric came on the Facebook page and did a lovely explanation of um, Asturia. Oh, cool. Um, uh, Arendia? Arendia. Uh, that it was the, uh, explained about the Asturians and the Membrates and the Wakaita Arends. Mm-hmm. How they all sort of made, um, made Arendia, which is the thing that I totally botched last episode and I actually interrupted the episode with a okay guys the next thing that the next few things I say totally cocked up <laughs> I yeah. actually edited it <laughs> the episode mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um, it's a to keep track of I gotta say yeah yeah I know I mean and I just get I just I mean it's one of those things that I know I have my own you know picture in my head of how the world is. I understand how it all fits together, but when I try to explain it, yeah. it comes out the wrong way and I get it, like I, I'm explaining it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Like I call something the wrong thing, but I, in my head, I'm I, like, I know what it is, but. <sighs> A lot of the names are similar too. So yeah. that makes it confusing. Yeah, but that's good. So I have to go look at that, what he posted in there. Yeah, it was so good. So thank you. Thank you, Eric. See, so, so yeah, Garion's sort of bit of, yeah, well, I told you so, but that's cool that you saw it. And so they talk a little bit about the serfs and how how he finally woke up to the the poverty from the place that they stayed. And he's so ashamed, he, you know, Leldrin, he's so moved and ashamed of, of, of how those people are being treated. Mm-hmm. Um, because so far removed from how his father treats their serfs on their land, you know, they're looked after. He's just ashamed of of being an Asturian, you know, yeah. based on this other countryman's behaviour. <laughs> and Karen's not quite sure what to do with all of this. I thought it was funny when he gets so passionate, like he does, and thinking that he's going to resolve it all by renouncing his rank. Yeah, and just like becoming another serf or something. And that's exactly what Garen was like afraid. I was like, oh God, what's coming now? Leldoran's going to say something, you know, just ridiculous and impulsive. Mm-hmm. 
and he does. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he, first he's going to renounce his rank and Garen says, well, that's not going to do any good, is it? And then he wants to, then he says, yes, you're right. You're right, Gary. And of course, I'll lead the serfs in a revolt. We'll sweep across the country. I'm like, oh, my God. <sighs> and Gary, and Gary gets very blunt. Mm-hmm. They'll all die. We'll get them all killed. And everything will be worse than it was. And you'll be starting a civil war, which is what the Mergos want. So just crushes all of the points that right. Lord makes. Yeah. And basically says, you know, <laughs> It, it's a bit of a gets a bit blunt and i i find it quite sendarian the way that he says well you're just going to keep making these mistakes as long as you keep your brain in the same scabbard as your sword <laughs> just really common sense kind of like just cut it out lilder <laughs> yeah yeah garion is really just straightforward to lilder they're just like opposites in that emotional sense, you know? I think Laldrin is extremely emotional. Mm. Garion is not. He's just kind of like straight face. Well, Doesn't I've been really thinking, like... you know what? I've been thinking about their relationship, mm-hmm. Garion and Laldrin, and why their relationship is so important to the story. Because this is, this is, how Garion starts to know his own mind. And I know I've talked before about the dry voice coming yeah. through his mouth and being more integrated. And it is through this relationship with Lelderan that he sort of has that more mature voice come to the fore because he has a reason to use it mm-hmm. with someone yeah. who's almost his own age, who he feels he can voice these things to. Yeah. It makes sense that, the author probably created Laldrin. I don't know if he made it an intentional decision, but it worked out that Laldrin does represent that kind of person who Garion can feel confident around. Like he can feel like the superior in a way. Well, he- sort of, it, yeah, in, 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 in intellectually, I think, yes. Mm-hmm. Worldly experience, no. So they, they each bring their own strengths to the relationship. So I, I do think that it's a balanced relationship for what it is. Yeah, I don't think it's shown that yet, though. I think it's really shown Garion always correcting Lulderin from what I've seen. It's yes. not quite balanced yet. Like, I haven't seen Lulderin really stand up or show his strength to Garion. He always just kind of be like, you're right, Garion. Yeah, well, you're right, you're- Yes, I see what you're saying. And I also think that Leldrin has strengths like uh, his ability with the bow, like for the, for the fights that they've had. Yeah, just the worldly experience and the, like Leldrin's been around a lot more. He's got this amazing skill with a bow, battle-tested, so to speak. You know, right. Skirmishes and that kind of thing. So I think I guess that's what I mean when when I say the relationship is kind of balanced, like they each bring something the other one doesn't have yet and needs to learn. Yeah. I think, I think it just hasn't been that Garion doesn't seem that impressed by Leldrin's fighting abilities. I don't get the impression that he does anyways. It's not spoken about a lot, but that it has, there haven't been a lot of opportunity to see it, I guess. Yeah. So I think it's just a matter of time. I think Garion obviously doesn't, he doesn't actually believe he's superior. I think he just feels 
he doesn't feel intimidated to speak his truth with no. Wilderman. And, that has, and that's been a process for him, like coming, like when the relationship started, he wasn't saying what he thought because he didn't want to lose the friendship. But now he's more secure in that friendship and that relationship, he's, he's sort of bringing his own voice forward. And I, and I, and you know, it, thinking in terms of story, this is the time in the story when he needs to do that so that whatever happens next, he has more confidence or is more, more, he knows himself better because he's had the opportunity to kind of voice all of this stuff and test practice yeah. what he does think yeah yeah the, this whole interaction was really good to see um garyan's growth and to also see Lelderin's kind of vulnerable side i think yeah. and, and admitting that he was wrong like i've been blind all along and and it is him growing as well like Lelderin is growing Mm-hmm. yeah he's growing because yeah, that's a huge that's a huge step for him to actually yeah. see what Garion was trying to tell him about the serfs like his whole life he never saw what Garion was trying to say exactly right and just and in a short time with Gary and all of a sudden it's like hit him yes Garion was a big part of that yeah uh, absolutely absolutely I totally agree and sort of Garion goes on to say it's not that you're stupid Lelderin that's a mistake everyone makes. Aaron's aren't stupid, they're just impulsive. That's when Lelderon goes on to talk about, you know, says, well, this was all more than just impulsiveness and explains that this stretch of forest that they're going through, and which is the natural border between Mimba and Asturia, that goes on for days. It's going to take them days to ride through this stretch of forest and the entire floor of the forest is littered with generations worth of dead bodies and bones carpeted with moss they've been there for so long and from the in from the civil wars and the internal fighting from the country and and Garen's just aghast he can't believe it and and he sort of he wants to know why he sort of just just why and Neldoran sort of, you know, first for pride and honour and then for grief and revenge and then because we just didn't know how to stop. How often do we do that stuff? Like we have these honourable, mo- well, we think they're honourable or we have a purpose for doing something that we want to do and it sets up these patterns in our lives. And then we don't know that what we're do- why we're doing it anymore. We just do it because it's what we've always done. Yeah. Yeah, and then like when life changes and you're still doing the same pattern it can become an unhealthy pattern instead of healthy uh-huh. but like it was in the beginning which is what happened here yeah and we but, end up with a forest full of dead bodies yeah i did like that imagery though oh yeah really <laughs> like good. okay now i'm getting into the fantasy of this yeah and i did feel that i did remember your comments about mirkwood right as I was reading this, I had glimpses of Mirkwood, the way that it was described, you know, being really dark and some really old, gnarled oaks in, yeah. the, you know. And I thought, ooh, I had just a little little um, thought that, oh, I have to read The Lord of the Rings soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that, that part of the story. But yeah, it does. It symbolizes, I mean, it resembles a lot of Mirkwood in this chapter. Mm, yeah. Really- and so that's that's that conversation. That's the Garen and Lelderan interaction, really. 
And then Heta, again, with the horses, the horses smell something, you know, they, they really are the early warning system. And so I wonder, that makes, that kind of makes me wonder, do the horses only have a connection amongst themselves or do their minds reach out to other animals as well? Or is it simply that horses have a really sensitive, like, sense of smell? Maybe that's my random fact for this week. I will <laughs> investigate, you know, how sensitive yeah. horse, horse senses are. Yeah, they seem like they're a very sensitive animal. Yeah, I guess. Mm. Yep, yeah, so the, or the horses can smell something. And then Mr. Wolf, and I didn't put this in the magic, so I'll talk about it now, but Mr. Wolf kind of, he commonly is portrayed as riding along in a bit of a half doze, like just kind of, you know, sleeping on the back of his horse. He sort of comes to and he, he, the description here is wolf's eyes narrowed and then grew strangely blank. And then after a moment, he drew in a sharp breath with a muttered curse. And I do like the way that it is in my mind when I, when I picture that. Like, did you, did you pick, did you catch that as you were reading it? Yeah. That moment of focus, you know, when you're, when you zone out to kind of, when you're in the middle of something and you zone out to recall a memory or that's kind of how I see it happening in my head. Like your eyes, your eyes aren't seeing what's in front of you. It's that you're kind of seeing what's in your mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was, (laughs) he was really, really Gandalf. For me in this moment <laughs> yeah like, okay. it's exactly like Gandalf but nobody else knows what's going on but Gandalf can use his higher senses to figure it out yeah and so and so what I was saying before about the horses maybe they can sense other minds that's what I think that wolf is doing he can sense like his mind can sort of stretch out somehow and sense the other minds around him or whatever so the beasts that have surrounded them are called algroths. Wolf describes them to Dernick as a non-human, somewhat distantly related to trolls. So trolls are, are, are a monster in this world, a type of monster, and an algroth is another type of monster. And I've got to say, I really, really don't like the description of these monsters. Yeah. Text. Every time, every single fucking time I read this description, I go, what the hell are you talking about? That has got to be the most ridiculous looking monster I've ever imagined in my head. No, I'm creating what they look like for myself. <laughs> so for, yeah. me, for me, when I read the description, I didn't so much, like I could envision them and it didn't really bother me that they could look that way but I just didn't think it fit into this world I felt like that's something you'd see in like a stranger things kind of world with it sci-fi was, yeah, it was too kind of realistic yeah it was well not okay. realistic but just well like their like skin is, still, is like a couple that doesn't fit together properly yeah like there's the way their skin was described and that they have claws and it just felt more like reptilian, but then he stands like a human. So then I just kind of saw an alien kind of thing. And then it's got a goat face. I'm like, what the fuck? No, no, this is not the monster in my, 
in this no 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 so anyway that's that's what I have to say about that I just kind of reverted to seeing a smaller version of a troll from Lord of the Rings but like smaller so mine (laughs) the the, what I see in my head is a creature a shaggy creature with uh, sharp horns and really long yellow fangs and very very long claws that's Mm. it it's just this that that sort of hunches over and runs along yeah and actually actually here you go the time machine like the the movie the the old 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 movie the time machine i do not remember the actor i do not remember who wrote the it's a very very old movie and there is a type of creature in that movie called a morlock okay I'm going to put a. Fo- I'm going to find a photo, and put it in the show notes. That's what I see. I see a Morlock with really, really long, pointy claws and teeth and horns. Okay. <laughs> that, that one I could work with too. <laughs> so anyway, the most important asset, you know, feature of these creatures is the claws, which are poisonous. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're running away, from, they're, they're sort of trying to find somewhere safe to go and Leldrin says Elgon's tour is not too far away. And so it's like a, a high hill up where the top point is above the trees around it. So they can get up on yeah. the top of the thing and see what's coming for them. So that's where they head towards. And I like the way that the horses are described, how Wolf says you're going to have to control the horses as we go because otherwise they'll fucking freak out these monsters all around us and you can sort of get the beak i did did like i got a picture like the horses you could i could hear them snorting and their eyes see their eyes rolling and just like wanting to run 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 but not being allowed to yeah Uh, and yeah so they they do they they get far enough along like close enough to the tour and then wolf says run and Heta lets the horses loose and they just all pelt towards the hill. Mm-hmm. And the trolls are sort of um, cut them off at one stage when they just think they're going to make it to the tour. That's all very exciting. And then so the horses just scream and rear and try to bolt. And Barak just, just I know, I mean, Barak beats at the horse with the flat of his sword and just kicks and kicks until the horse is more frightened of him than the, than the monsters and carries him through them and he sort of slices at them with his sword. And I'm in two minds about that little scene because I'm like, oh, no, the poor horse. And then I'm like, oh, you know, that's okay. Barrack will keep you safe. He, they won't get you. It's all good. Just so. Yeah, that, it's, it's, it's like when you're watching um, like a Planet Earth show or something where you see one animal attack another and you're like, no, don't do that. But then you're like, that's how you have to survive. <laughs> exactly. Who am I to tell you to starve? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so they, they do, they get through and they're, so at this point they're fighting as they ride though, because the monsters are, the, the, the Algroths are all around them. And then yeah. Gary and his Lulderum behind him, gasp, turns around to see him. You know, one of the Algroths is trying to claw Leldrin out of his saddle. And then Hetar, Garion sort of, Zerny's trying to draw his sword. And so I, I get a picture of Garion here, like, 
Like, how do you picture Gary? And like, I see him quite frantic. What's the image you have? Yeah, um, frantic for sure. I, I was going to say that, like, very similar to the first time. Like when Frodo's in Goblin Town, not Frodo, that's Bilbo in, in Goblin Town. And, you know, they're surrounded and he's kind of in a panic. He's not really a fighter. So it's like he's got that sword that tells him the goblins are coming. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that same feeling here for me with Gary and of like. He wants to fight. Never. Hell. <laughs> yeah, he's never used, used a sword before. So it's yeah. like I can't even get this thing out. Yeah, so yeah. So yeah, that's exactly what I was imagine. He's probably frustrated too in that moment. Well, you know, I guess he's panicking for his friend as well. Before Garin gets a chance to do anything, Hetar's there and he runs the Algroth through with his saber and kills it. And then they're all just running in, you know, running in sheer panic. The horses are panicked and everyone's scrambling up the slope of the tor, which has boulders all over it. And so you can imagine the horses hooves slipping and stuff. It's very exciting and then Leldoran starts swaying in his saddle because remember the, the Algros claws are poisoned yeah and of course Leldoran says save yourself Gary and <laughs> of course he says that <laughs> but they all get up to the top and yeah. and then he can collapse in his pain yep yeah, so Garen catches him and did you talk about this or let me keep blubbering which part of Gary and catching him? Oh, no, no, just what happens next. Like, Art Pole takes him. And so this, I, I do like the way that Art Pole shows herself as, as like, I like, I really like witchcraft kind of stuff yeah. with herbs and healing and, you know, the wise woman figure, which is what, she, which is what she embodies here. And she, you know, pulls out her herbs and tells Dernick that she wants a fire made and, Dernick doesn't know how the hell he's going to do that because it's drizzling and, you know, there's hardly any wood up there anyway. Yeah, everything's wet. Yeah. And so Aunt Pole's like, um, she turns into the healer here, yeah. you know, rips open Lulderan's vest and s- takes Garion's knife and slices, you know, gets says, says to Garion and Heta, hold him down, this is going to hurt, and slices open the, the puffy wound so you can imagine these next festering things just kind of bubbling in his side and he she slices it open, each of the each of the scratches and welder and just faints from the pain. And basically he's just like he's collapsed. He's like on the brink of death. And Aunt Paul's doing everything she can to to help him with the, the herbs that she's got. And there's no magic going here. So there's no sorcery. There is yeah. the herbal healing. Like that that's a different type of magic, but it's a it's a learned magic. You know, it's not a it's not a will in the word thing. This is her herbalism right. and healing knowledge. I really like that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. But then you do still see her magic because you know when um, Dernick can't start the fire because it's too wet. It's almost like she just kind of looks <laughs> looks yeah. at it. Yeah, he's got it all set up, and she just kind of looks at it, and then it like lights up. <laughs> yep. So she does both ma- yeah. forms of magic in this one little scene. So that's cool yes. to see. Well, I didn't say anything because I knew that you wanted to talk about that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's like brewing, brewing stuff in this pot, right? 
God, I love a witch's brew. <laughs> Good witch's brew. It's all happening, bubbling and smoking. And she makes it like a, uh, she covers him with the, her cloak and, you know, she's brewing potions. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And she's in very, in um, like, I don't know what you'd call it, but she's just focused on yes. the healing. She doesn't want to be distracted by Garen's questions or anything yes. Like, she's basically like, do not bother me. I need to do this. Yeah. Um, it's very Aunt Paul, though, don't you think? Like, she was totally, like, it wasn't an unusual th- way for her to behave, I think, in that situation. It didn't feel yeah. unusual. No, it didn't. But it was really a, a good reminder of her character and that she um, she is dedicated to saving this guy's life. Like, yeah. she'll do anything. And that just says a lot about her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So they, they can still hear the, the Algros, but they've all, so all of the, so Silk, Barak and Hetar were at the edge and throwing rocks at them until they all ran away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then they hear from off in the distance, a brassy horn sound. And here comes <laughs> our new character. I can't wait yeah. to hear what you think of our new character. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta say, People are getting so tired of me making these comparisons. Never. Yeah, I thought it was a cool way, like the way he made his entrance. Mm-hmm. Like he just seems fearless with all of these, you know, troll-like things down there, and he just kind of, Yeah, and he just kind of like rolls through them like it's nothing. But it was when um, Wolf introduces him with his his name. What is his name? Melendor or something? <laughs> Mandarellen. 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 And as soon as I as soon as I read the name Mandarellen, I was like, that reminds me so much of Gandalf's elvish name. I don't know why, because it doesn't even sound similar. Oh, what is it? His elvish name is Mithrandir. That's right. Mithrandir and then Mandarellen. But just something about the two names both felt really um, I don't know what the word is. Familiar? Yeah. Or like they, they belong to somebody who holds a lot of knowledge and oh okay knowledge through the ages of all time and stuff okay well we'll see how you if that if that um description holds for you i'd be interested (laughs) not like an aragorn kind of vibe though the way he fights okay just fearless in there or just him and he's like just knocking these things down yeah not, not everybody can do that He's a knight. So he's in full knight regalia, like all the armor with the hooded and with the helmet and the visor and his war horse is all in armor as well. And he's got a lance. He, he sort of runs the, one of the algorithms through the lance and it breaks off at the butt. So he's the, he's the knight. Yeah. Yeah. And, so that, that, his arrival seemed to save the day. Uh, yeah. With Hetar and... It's Hetar and Barak who go and help him, right? Well, Mandra Allen's like, yeah, hi, guys. You know, sort of, yes, I'm, you know, here. And then he, I'll, I'll be back soon. Just going to go and have a bit of a game with these chuckleheads. And he turns around and rides back after the Algros. Like, they're running away. He chases after them to get mm-hmm. more of them. So, and Hetar and, and, um, Hetar and Barak are like, Oh God! Well, I think this going to go and help him, silly bastard. <laughs> yeah. So, do they know him from previously or not? 
No, this is the first time they're all meeting him apart from uh, Mr. Wolf. Okay. Yeah. That was funny. How they just ran after him, even though they're kind of like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing with these things, but let's go try. Uh, Fearless. So Silk, Silk's opinion is, says, he says to Mr. Wolf that your friend shows a remarkable lack of good sense. And Wolf's like, well, it probably hasn't occurred to him to be afraid. He's a membrane. They tend to think they're invincible. <laughs> so, so we're getting a picture. So from, from Leldrin, you're getting the picture of the Asturians who are impulsive and brave and honourable and flighty. And the mim- so now, you, now we get to start forming our picture of what a mimbrate is, a knight who is fearless or thinks he's invincible you know, there's a kind of arrogance that goes with that, I think. Yeah. And also very brave. I think I said that a few times. And just like the all of the all of the stereotypes of a knight that you could probably think of, you could apply to this dude. You know, the way that he refers to the fight with the Algros, you know, thy friends below were most frolicsome. So he speaks with the these and the thous and there's like this sense of, you know, like, oh, it's all just a game. <laughs> yeah. So now, now I can get to know somebody who's actually one of these people and see what it's all about. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That'll be interesting. He introduces, Mr. Wolf introduces him to the company and Aunt Paul seems to think that he's very bit of a charmer. Um, <laughs> You know, and she's patting her hair, even though it's all drizzly and damp, and she's leaning over Lelder and trying, you know, doctoring him. She's like, oh, I'm going to like this one, Father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and Mr. Wolf just introduces them all to him. But, yeah, that was funny with uh, Aunt Pole because I've never seen her act that way before. <laughs> no, we haven't. I don't think. No, no. something, something more just that he's a knight because I don't think it would just be that for her. I mean, well, it well oh, I don't know if I should say anything. <laughs> you don't have to. I'm just taking guesses. Like, I just found it strange that it just the fact that he's like a knight in armor would be what makes her act that way. Well, I, I, see, I know all of her backstory, so I know why she behaves that way. But like, but she has had a girlish moment when she changed into the blue gown for the king and everyone was waiting for her in the hallway back in Sendaria. She came mm-hmm. out and did a little girlish twirl like so that they could all admire her and was like, you know, do you really think I look nice kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I just, this is the first time I've actually seen her be like flirty, flirtatious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. somebody. So I think he's her kind of what she finds um, attractive or now I'm going to cut that bit out. I'm not going to say anything else. So (laughs) because one day we will read Polgara, which is her backstory and you'll understand it all. Mm. Uh, But just if you think back to how she behaved when they were in the ruins of Vowakun, yeah. Which is an old Mimbrate city. Well, they were a people, like so there were there were Mim Mimbrates, 
um, the people of Boakun and the Asturians, the three peoples. Yeah. And the people of Boakun were just wiped out. But um, she's very fond of, you know, you got that sense there that she had a history there with those people. So, yeah. And that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to find out when the time comes. And then Gary and see something. Yeah. Take it away. <laughs> so he calls out to Mr. Wolf that he sees this figure on a horse. He's like up there with them all of a sudden. And so it seems like Mr. Wolf really knows who he is. But Garion has a moment where he thinks he should remember this, like something he should remember about this person or this shadow or whatever it is. And this dark figure on a horse. Yeah. So he can't seem to remember though, which is odd because he just saw it not too long ago. Um, but as this dark figure comes and actually speaks this time to Mr. Wolf, calling him Balgarath and telling him that like they need to give up, it's time to abandon the quest. So it was, it was interesting that he's actually speaking now. And then it's not really him, it's just like a, an image of him, right? Isn't that how it is? Well, they said they said it here. I mean, they have a whole conversation about, and he addresses him as Chamdar. Uh-huh. So he calls him Chamdar. And Gary notices that the rain that's, that's falling, the drizzle, is striking the rocks beneath the figure. So although it seems solid, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. But there's that moment where Mr. Wolf, like, does something that says he sends his shadow back to him. Yeah. Or before he was always shadowless, right? When Gary and I see him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, that was interesting. So I wonder. So yeah, it's like oh, you can have your shadow back now, Chamda. After all of this, um, after all of their conversation is finished, and he flicks his hand, and it sh the figure shudders and disappears. So it could be that every time Gary has seen the dark figure, because it's always described as a dark shadowy figure, maybe it's just the shadow that he's seeing. Mm. The same way that they're seeing it now. Mr. Wolf has the shadow, right? But Mr. Wolf had, had, had his actual shadow. Is that what is going on? Because he gives him his shadow back? No, 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 no. He says, here, Chamda, have your shadow back. Mm -hmm. So like talking to the figure of Shamra, like it's just a shadow here, you have your shadow back. And he sends the shadow mm -hmm. back to Shamra, to Chamra. That's how I. Oh, okay. okay. That makes more sense. Um, and did you, did, so did you understand the way that he's connected to um, Zeta and Torak and that sort of stuff in here? No, I didn't. Okay. So Chamra is a Grolem priest he's one of the high up grolem priests he's one of the main bad dudes under torak he's a priest of torak he's not working for zeta but you know he sort of says once zeta has carried Yaska, which is the orb to my master who is torak all we need to do is delay you so so zeta can do that that's my purpose here is just to delay you so that that can happen and torak can you know the next thing that that happens will happen. But that's all I need to do is delay you. 
The, the other interesting thing here is that Chamda talks about the prophecy. Um, he's, he sort of says, I wanted to, I was curious about how you would translate the prophecy into everyday terms. And he looks, Chamda looks around at everyone on the hilltop and sort of, you know, oh, yeah, okay, you know, that's actually clever. Nice job. Where did you find them all? Like talking about the different members of the party. And I do, uh, I do love a bit of prophecy talk, you know, as we know. Mm-hmm. And Wolf's like, well, you know, I didn't, he's, Chamda's like, you know, where did you find them all? And Wolf said, well, I didn't find them. They were there. If one part of the prophecy is valid, it's all valid. I don't have to, you know, contrive it. It's just, they come down to me through the generations. Chamda makes the comment that it's not complete. Wolf says it will be. And then Chamda says, who is the one who will live twice? And Wolf doesn't answer. And then true to the title of this book, he says, hail my queen to Aunt Paul. And that's um, because Torak says that Polgara will be his wife when he wins and she'll be queen of the world. (laughs) So, of course, you know, she says, you know, puts on a bit of a bluff, you know, well, that puts you at a disadvantage. If I'm going to be your queen, you can't really cross me. And, you know, Chamda is very just snide and, well, not snide, but just a fucking misogynist, really. Ah. You know, once Torak is, you know, is awake and you are his, you belong to him, your mind won't be your mind anymore. It will be his mind. And so hmm. I can work around you. Um, and then that's it's at that point that Wolf gets pissed off enough to just say, fuck off, you know, get back, have your shadow back. Yeah. Yeah. All of that is interesting. Like when I was reading this the other night, I read it in the evening. Mm-hmm. And at the last part of the chapter, I was really trying to stay awake to read. So I don't think I absorbed it <laughs> like I otherwise would have. Uh, but yeah, now that, now that we are talking about it, I do remember reading this. It okay. just wasn't through like consciousness completely. It was like in a half sleep. And then the, the last little part here, they explain how the, um, how he managed to be there. And it talks about the shadow and how the shadow is projected over quite some distance and, you know, Grolems think it's all very tricky and impressive. So they like to do it. And then right at the end, Wolf says, well, we have to go. We have to get off this hilltop. And uh, Paul says, well, Leldoran can't ride for at least a week. And they have a, they, Dernick thinks of a solution to build a litter, to sling it between a couple of horses so that they can get going. And that's where the chapter ends. Yeah. Yeah. That whole interaction is, is one of those that gets you excited to keep going. Yeah. Find out what's coming and like what it all really means. Cause you only get little glimpses of like what they're hinting at, you know? Yep. 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 Well, at least I do. Cause I, well, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, you know, I, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear the things that make you want to keep reading or the ones that make you want to stop and throw the book in the bin. Yeah. Well, this chapter is definitely what I expect from a fantasy story. Yep. Okay. There's there's a lot of chapters that weren't that for me in like the first book. <laughs> okay, cool. So the story is getting, catching my attention now. Excellent. For sure. Excellent. Okay. So what was your favorite piece of magic from the chapter? Mm-hmm. 
liked Aunt Paul or the way she lit the fire. Because <laughs> it's just cool. Like, I wish I could do that. It's, it's you know, you can use, and, and this is something I put in my own first, the, the first series that I am working on the second book right now is using the elements. It, like, you just draw the energy from the earth and you can use your mind to, like, use the elements to aid you or to fight or to heal whatever you need. So I really liked that that little moment where she just looks at the fire and it's like, okay, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like the 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 impatience of Aunt Paul, like oh, just like, yeah, there it is, it's lit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doing other things. It's like an after, like a like a just a afterthought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was kinda like, well, I, if I was Jernica, I'd have been like, why'd you ask me to do it in the first place then? You could have just done that. Yeah, he does look surprised, doesn't he? Sort of jumps back. You want to fight him? Play well. <laughs> okay, so mine is I really like the way Mr. Wolf sends Chamdar on his way so casually. Like the just he just flicks his hand and like, yep, yeah, just off you go. Had enough of you now. So cool. You know, he's just so super cool. I like him. <laughs> yeah, that says something about his power. Yeah, like it's so um, big, it's just like you don't even talk about it mm-hmm. it's like uber cool <laughs> <laughs> what's your what's your personal insight this week this one is hard i almost couldn't even find anything in this chapter i had trouble too <laughs> so i finally decided on i feel like that moment when gary and sees the black rider and he feels like there's something he should remember, but he doesn't make the connections that he's seen him before. Like, I think we all have moments like that, but there's been times for me where it does feel kind of like there's this thing there. Maybe it's from another life or mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. or maybe it's a memory from when I was a child and mm-hmm. I just can't quite grab it, but I know there's something there I should be able to grab onto, you know? So I'm curious, like when you talk about Gary and not making the connection. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's simply not remembering? That's what I started feeling like at, after the last chapter before this one. Because when he walks away from the shadow, it's like he forgets. He instantly forgets about it. And then this time he can't seem to remember remember it at all. So why do you think that is? Just the, the way it's described. I don't know. Why do you think Garion can't remember? I have no idea. So if you think back to the start of the book where the dark figure was showing up all the time mm-hmm. and then he actually turned up at Valalorn physically and said, I had you once, I can get you again. Remember Aunt Paul stripped all of that that he, she, he had the compulsion that he couldn't speak about the dark figure and mm. Art Paul stripped it from his mind. Yeah, I forgot about that. And now it seems to be back again mm-hmm. because it's the dark figure and he knows he should talk about it, but he can't remember it. It's like... Mm-hmm. So it has something to do with what she did to him in that moment that's affecting his memory of it? No, well, I just think that it's happening again. Yeah, like he's still seeing it. Yeah, and can you remember when it's what happened just before he started seeing it again? 
he got he he felt dirty from the battle. He stripped off and had a bath. He wanted to scrub everything away, and he did something then that he wasn't supposed to. He took the necklace off the thing. So has he not put it back on yet? Well, I think he has put it back on, but that's this. This is the thing that happened after that. Yeah. So if, if it's a magical amulet or something, mm-hmm. and they all wear it, yeah, it has something to do with protecting him from this guy. I think so. Shadow figure. But yeah, I think it's important that, that like he's not just not he's not just not remembering. He's not just being dull and silly. Or yeah. Stupid. He's just. I think there's a magical element there that's making him not remember. Yeah, yeah, I definitely get that vibe. I don't think it's just his like lack oh, okay. of memory. <laughs> okay. But it is. It's like it's. There's moments in my life though too where it is. It's like obviously I know I'm not stupid. That, that I can't remember. It's just that, like, there's something almost standing in my way of remembering it. Yeah. Like, there's something there that doesn't want me to fully remember, you know? I have days where I walk into a room and can't remember why I came in. Yeah, those two. <laughs> I do <laughs> all the time. I, like, I, I, like, get up to do something and then go, mm-hmm. hey, honey, what was I, what was I, what was I doing? <laughs> What's yeah. I gonna do? And she'll tell me. Mm-hmm. But no, I didn't think I didn't mean that you were stupid at all. No, I know that. Okay. I know that. I just yeah, I don't think that that's what's happening with Gary and either. I think I do see it as something blocking him from being able to. Like, yeah. It is some kind of a magic thing. I think it's definitely something magic is definitely blocking him. Yeah. Okay. Oh my um, personal insight is yeah. What was your personal insight? Mine is a, a, it connected to the way that Lel Doran. So through this episode, through this chapter, when he's talking with Garion about the surfs and having all of his realizations and blah blah blah, all of his emotions just show on his face, and the things that he's thinking inside his head just show on his face. You know, instantly. There's no just this. He's just totally transparent, and um, that behavior has gotten me into a bit of trouble in my lifetime mm-hmm. and very, very often misunderstood um, because what's showing on my face isn't actually what's going on inside me or what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it is like the look on my face says, I think you're a fucking idiot. And I'm actually thinking that. So you're right <laughs> to get pissed off because you don't look at me like I'm a freaking idiot. Well, don't be one. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but sometimes it's just, especially when I was young, I was very shy. I know it's hard to believe, but very, very, very painfully shy. And so I, people thought that I was really stuck up and snobbish, but I was just really shy. And so people would say things like, you know, I would look straight through them, you know, and just have this really haughty look on my face. And you're right. I was looking straight through you, but it's because I was trying to make myself invisible because mm-hmm. I was really shy. Yeah. It's funny because I had that exact, the exact same experience as a kid being so shy and I didn't talk at school at all. 
and people would always think I was rude because yep. the looks, they thought they misinterpreted the looks on my face. And it's really just me being like this inside and I'm like terrified just sitting in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And then they would interpret as like I hated them because I yeah. would happen to like look at the same time at each other. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, oh. That was my yawn was very big. I know you can't see me because this is a podcast and not a video show. Oh, that hurt my little, my poor little jaw. Yeah. Okay. Prophecy speak. go first on this one <laughs> I'm interested to hear about this <laughs> sure so I was trying to think of what to ask I'm like oh, let's just have like something you know very different and so I have I want to ask about a driver's license so I live in the Netherlands um, I lived in Australia for like 40 years and I've been driving since I was 10 years old. So I've had a license, I had a license from the time I turned 17, but I'd been driving since I was 10 because we lived in the bush, we lived in the country, had my first driving lesson on my 10th birthday because we lived in, in, the, in the bush. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how long I've been driving. But since I've lived here, I haven't driven at all because I couldn't swap my license for a, a Dutch license. I have to go and get lessons and, that sort of stuff mm, fun stuff yeah and so I've, i just haven't done it because you know money and stuff like that and yeah. you know it's not necessary i don't have my own car it's not like i'm gonna drive somewhere every day but you know in the future you know our plan is to our long-term plan is to um save up for a camper and that will be our holidays and you know what we do and you know the dream or the intention is that I have books being published I can work anywhere we can do our meditations and stuff and then we just go cruising around in a camper and she you know we don't have to do so many hours in the office because you can cut all those hours right down and we can just have a crazy little life and at that point it might be handy if there were two of us who could drive and so I just am holding that intention in my mind you know okay need two should I is it something that I don't need to bother about just you know tell me something about that and I thought it was appropriate to use a book called to ride a silver broomstick (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it's about travel and I'm witch yeah. <laughs> the witchcraft came up already in our discussion so um, so this is a book by Silver Raven Wolf love those um, I think this was probably, let me see when was this written yeah in the 90s you gotta love those 90s witchy names Silver Raven Wolf <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Let's see. Energy is something you can feel. 
You may tingle, pulse, or grow warm while raising energy. Some people are strong energy pushers and others are not. This doesn't mean that if you can belt out an explosion of energy, you are better than those who allow their energy to flow smoothly from their bodies. Before you raise your energy, you have to ground and center. Grounding is putting psychological roots into Mother Earth and stabilizing yourself. Centering is pulling your essence into your navel area to promote a calm and steady state. If you do not ground and center, woe unto you, my friend. You cannot work at peak efficiency all the time, however. If you are overly tired, sick or stressed out, you may have a heck of a time raising the cone of power. If possible, save your working for another day. Don't feel bad or consider yourself a failure if you cannot raise energy right away. It will come in time. Everyone is capable of raising energy once they get the hang of it. <laughs> so I'm getting from that, not to stress out about it at all. Yeah. yeah totally capable of it and if the time comes when you need to get it just go get it <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't bring your energy down over a driver's yeah. license not a big deal i'm thinking <laughs> what do you think yeah i think that that's a good takeaway i you know because it is in the future somewhere in the future that you would need it mm. and Maybe you guys will be driving around in the camper for a while before you guys decide that you might want to help out. Yeah. You know? It might be something you got to do first and then make the decision. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, just keep your energy levels high. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that was just a nice, simple little no deep stuff today. Yeah. So you have to be deep all the time. It's hard for us because we're always deep people. But <laughs> I just uh, needed a day off from the deep. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm got dentist hangover. Yeah. Well, did you want to update us too from your last week? Sorry, I just dropped my phone. Oh, that's okay. Is it okay? <laughs> yeah, I have it like uh, case proofed and screen protector oh, and very good. My yeah. screen protector is cracked. <laughs> Yeah, but check it. Oh, excuse me. Ow. So I am continuing to honor my literal and creative spouses. Mm -hmm. So I'm my writing uh, time. I've now I'm now dedicating the first half of the morning to my spouse, my writing spouse, which is the Pull of the Tribe, the big magical realism series. And yep. then I have a break and then the rest of the morning I spend on the fluff series. Mm -hmm. So I'm still honoring both of those things and in doing so honoring my spouse. So I'm still doing all, I'm doing all of those things and I worked out a way that it works and it's flowing and it's working really well. That's cool. I love that. I love how it all just intertwines together and then it, that's when it works. Mm -hmm. It's working because you're honoring all of them. Yep. Um, my check-in was is that yeah I, I've just been focused on being still, and I, I can easily revert back to thinking I have to do these things in order to make a difference or to get me closer to what I want to do. But it's just not true. 
so I'm just still, I've been focused on meditating a lot more than I, I was. I'm doing it a few times a day now instead of just once. Great. Um, so that's been helping a lot too. Excellent. For this week, I <laughs> trying to figure out, I know I brought this up once on the show before, but my dreams still to this day every night, I don't even look forward to sleeping because I know it's not going to be enjoyable. It's going to be these dreams that torture me and then I'm going to wake up my mind's going to feel like shit. Um, and then I have to go into meditation just to get myself out of that. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of that cycle. So I want to know how to break that cycle, like to, I don't know, enjoy sleep, I guess. Um, which book are you going to use? Using the art of dreaming, which is a book I just discovered from, a book I was reading last week and the author of that book mentioned this one. And of course it caught my attention because I'm like, this might be what maybe helped me with what I need. It's by Carlos Castaneda. Mm -hmm. And I've already started reading this, but I'm not very far in. So we'll see. Let's see. The emissary went on to say that it had told me everything about the shadow beings when it described and explained the protuberance I can't say this word Pro, yeah protuberances on the tunnel's walls i retorted that i had heard the explanations but i had not paid attention to them because i believed that they did not pertain directly to dreaming everything here in this realm pertains directly to dreaming the emissary stated I wanted to think about the reason for my misjudgment, but my mind became blank. My dreaming attention was waning. I was having trouble focusing it on the world around me. I braced myself for waking up. The emissary started to speak again, and the sound of its voice propped me up. My dreaming attention perked up considerably. Dreaming is a vehicle that brings dreamers to this world, the, he said. And everything sorcerers know about dreaming was taught to them by us. Our world is connected to yours by a door called dreams. We know how to go through that door, but men don't. They have to learn it. Yeah. Um, it just sounds to me like you know obviously there's a connection when when you're asleep you're connected to another world in a sense or other worlds that you don't you aren't always aware of in your waking moments but i don't know i think i just got that it's it's like like how to go through that door into the dream world is something that i'm still trying to to work out for myself i guess okay I don't know. But yeah, I just, I don't, I know we always have to dream. I just don't want to dream that stuff anymore. I want to dream either just not remember them or I want to dream something that's pleasant, which is actually in alignment with everything I'm doing during my day. You okay. know? Can I so. say something? Yeah. So how do you know that what you're dreaming is not in alignment? with what's going on during your day because I feel like shit when I wake up and like I guess like I guess it's still related to anxiety I'm not letting go of is what I think 
And the other thing that I would say is just as a practical exercise, it's showing, it's giving you, you an example of calling on an emissary from the place through the door to help you learn how to dream, mm -hmm. which is what you're asking to do. You're asking to dream differently. Yeah. Yeah, I think like your subconscious mind too can just be in a way like just calling on your subconscious mind to, you know, reach the places you want to reach in your sleep. So maybe yeah. start making a practice of calling on an emissary as you lay down to sleep to be there for you. Yeah, kind of like a guardian angel in a way too. Yeah, like a dream guide, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. Call yeah. a dream guide, right? To help you, yeah. so it it's and and putting labels on it like unpleasant or uh, not aligned or so disturbing. Something that's disturbing might actually have something in there that's really valuable for you. That if you are shown it from a slightly different point of view, actually isn't as disturbing as maybe you think it is. Mm -hmm. so maybe it's a mm, there's always something there but I'm fully I fully support you calling on your dream guide or when you lay down to sleep just going into that meditative space and connecting with a guide of some sort to take you where you need to go and if you don't understand something to help you understand it yeah um, I can give that a try for sure. I, yeah, cause it would be cool if, if I could actually see if it's, you know, stuff that's not making me feel well when I wake up, then at least understand why it was being shown to me <laughs> rather than just feel like I'm in this nightmare, you know? And this, when you're in that state of resistance all the time, when, you know, I shouldn't be seeing this, I don't want to see this and sort of push away, push away, push away. There's this tension that builds up that can dissolve if you go into it but mm. it look nice you don't want to go into it because it's all scary and unpleasant but if you've got someone there to help you go into or come into it with you so that you're not there alone maybe that's something that you can give it a try and see how it feels how does that sound like how is that striking you when i talk when i'm talking yeah, it makes sense. Um, it goes along with everything I'm trying to do in my waking moments, you know, to stop resisting. And um, in my sleep, you know, it's not as easy to learn to control those. Not that you have to control them, but to, I guess, embrace those moments because you're in a different place. You're not yeah. operating from their consciousness that you're used to operating from. So. Algroths, huh? Mm -hmm. Okay, darling listeners, if you have made it this far with us, you're, we are all the way at the end of the episode. 
So if you would like to talk to us on social media somewhere, Facebook or Instagram, please use the hashtag for this episode, Dreaming of Algroths, mm. which only appears in spoken form on the episodes. Our secret hashtags, that's just between you and us for the fans. You can contact us through our website, belgariadandbeyond.goddesskindle.com or email us at belgariadandbeyond at gmail.com and you'll find all of the links to everything and the show notes with extras and videos and pictures and clickable thingies on the website. So that's where I would send you if you want to click out and explore our universe. Yeah, and also for, you know, leaving ratings and reviews for the podcast on iTunes or if there's any other platforms you listen to us on that they allow you to leave reviews, like, please do so. Um, it really will help us reach more people and, yeah. you know, just spread the love of fiction and fantasy in our lives. I'm just going to check. Um, I was just looking at iTunes. And our, our rating has gone up, but I don't know. It might have been my flub last week when I accidentally. I noticed. I clicked two stars and it hit submitted. And then I, I was like, oh, no, no, no. And I hit five stars and it's. <laughs> so so three ratings, but only two reviews. They're the same two that we had last week. Right. So, but we're up to a four, a four stars instead of. Yeah. So, you know. Get on there and uh, let's see how many reviews we can get. If you actually listen to the show, it would be really helpful to go on there and give us a review, especially if you like the show or if you've got something useful for us. Let us know what it is you love so that we can give you more of the things you love. Yep. Okay. Uh, uh, yep, that's it for now. I'm a bit tired. I've run, my battery's run out. Yeah, I'm hungry. <laughs> okay all right see you next week everyone bye guys have a good week I'm tired but I don't want to go to bed no that's like me all the time because I feel like I want some quiet time to unwind after the girls are sleeping but then I'm just so tired I'm like now I'll just go to bed oh I so remember those years my darling yeah it is not easy no you'll get there though